Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Shoots for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 14 of the series dedicated to the draft eligible prospect for the 2020 NFL draft, which is set to begin in April in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, week 12 of the college football season is in the books. I can't believe we're already almost through the entire month of November. Pretty soon we're going to be talking about the bowl season right around the corner. Again, hard to believe. You know, we got Thanksgiving coming up next week, and uh, things are really starting to shape up for the college football playoff. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia all maintain the top four spots, followed by Alabama. And of course, week 12 is a week that I think Alabama fans really want to forget more than anything else. And yes, they did beat Mississippi State 38-7, to but they lose... Tua Tango-Vailoa for the season with uh, you know dislocated hip and a fracture to the posterior wall. The good news is the surgery was a success and he's supposed to make a, uh, a full recovery. I think when he went down and everyone was talking about it being a hip, the first thought that came to mind was Bo Jackson's career-ending hip injury and you know ultimately had to have that hip replaced. And you know, I think that's something that's really scary, especially for for someone with you know, at, um, you know, of Tua's age. Um, but you look at it, and Tua, prognosis wise, if everything shakes out and he ends up healing and the hip checks out, obviously the medicals still are going to be the biggest concern for Tua. I think Tua was going to be the number one quarterback, uh, although Joe Burrow was and Justin Herbert really tightening that uh, that gap there. But Tua still, you know, you have the ankle injuries, high ankle sprains on both of those, and then now the hip. The biggest thing with Tua is, is that's when he's been extending plays. All of those have happened when he's trying to extend plays, and really get outside the pocket. I think with these injuries now, Tua's going to have to try to manipulate the pocket without getting really out on the edges. And that's really going to be kind of how he's going to have to tweak his game going to the next level. Uh, you know, he's so precise, so accurate. The anticipation, the ball placement, you know, his ability to throw his receivers open and allow his receivers, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, all of whom have a great chance to be first-round picks – to make plays after the catch. And that's really what you're looking for. And at the NFL level, you know, Kyler Murray's already said, hey, look, you know, the windows are there, the gaps are there uh, when I run, but they fill up so quickly. And the same thing with the gaps, you know, like I was saying, the, the windows when he's throwing the football. Tua, with that anticipation and his ability to throw his receivers open, I think that's one of the things for him that he really has going in his favor. He's just going to have to watch things from a mobility standpoint because two high ankle sprains, back-to-back years, plus the hip, red flags galore when you're talking about uh, durability. And that's one of the big concerns that you have to have. Is Tua still a first-round pick? I think that he is, you know, as long as the hip checks out, as long as the medicals check out, I think he's still a first round pick. We saw that the Tennessee Titans took a chance on uh, Jeffrey Simmons after he tore his knee and and sat out for the majority of the season, but he was able to step in and was able to dominate really, you know, from the time that he stepped foot on an NFL, uh, NFL field and the, the chance, you know, the, the opportunity there bringing him in, they took a risk. 
and, and the risk paid off. So I think there's going to be teams that, and it may actually be to Tua's benefit, he's going to be going more than likely to a team that may already have an established offensive line, some established weapons, not a team that's looking to rebuild. So it may actually benefit Tua in the long run uh, going to, a you know, if his draft stock falls a little bit, you know, if he's in the teens or the 20s, um, you know, I don't see him falling out of the first round unless the hip, really there are question marks there. We saw what happened with Miles Jack when uh, he tore his knee and there were concerns about it being a potential arthritic knee and, and what's going to happen there. So he fell all the way to the fifth pick of the second round. And then Jalen Smith, obviously, with his knee tear in uh, in the bowl game, he fell to the second round as well. So is there a chance Tua could fall to round number two? I think there is, but there are enough teams that are looking for a quarterback, whether it's as a starter or someone to be a backup. Um, you know, I, I think there are enough teams that are going to be out there that uh, Tua is going to get a look in round number one. So that wasn't the only game that we ran into uh, in Week 12. I think it was a real... Um, you know, a statement game for Clemson against Wake Forest, 52 to three, uh, dominating performance by, by the Clemson Tigers. And, you know, I think it's a team that's defending national champs and they're not really getting the respect that I think they, that they deserve. Uh, T Higgins, four receptions, 64 yards, three touchdowns, you know, just a guy who just attacks the football in the air, does a really good job winning at the line of scrimmage with his routes, does a good job setting up his man. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'd see him on a slant or or a post, and a, a a quick head fake to the outside before cutting. You know, crossing the face of the defender and cutting back inside. T. Higgins to me is, is just really showing himself as a a a first round pick at the wide receiver position. But then Travis Etienne, uh, you know, when you look at the stats, you know, here he is. You know, over 100 yards again and a touchdown, three receptions, 37 yards. But you watch the way that he runs. He's running with power. You know, he was one of those guys, hey, he's a speed demon. He's going to be a guy that's going to take the top off of defense. Just, you know, a, a home run threat. But he's running through contact. He's, he's running over guys. He, he's stepping out of tackles. And you really want to see that from a guy like Travis Etienne, a guy who could be a fringe first rounder, early second second round these running backs are really trying to separate themselves. You have Jonathan Taylor. You have uh, the speed of of Chuba Hubbard. Uh, you, you have J.K. Dobbins. You have DeAndre Swift and obviously Travis Etienne. And I think you know what Travis Etienne is, is trying to do is he's trying to show that power uh, that, that some of these backs just don't have. Um, you know, to go along with the, the, the speed that he definitely has more than than any of these other backs. So it, it's going to be interesting to see where, where Travis Etienne falls, especially when we get into pre-draft workouts and such. Um, you know, I think one of the other games that you have to talk about is, is OU. OU without C.D. Lamb taking on Baylor, previously undefeated Baylor, down 28-3, and Jalen Hurts ends up rallying, leading his team to victory, 38-34. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, 30 of, of 42, 297 yards, four touchdowns and interception, plus 114 yards on the ground. Now, look, he's not a polished quarterback, uh, you know, throwing the football by any means. But this is a guy, he's a leader. He's a winner. He knows how to lead his team back from, from deficits. You know, we saw that last year with Alabama, leading them back to, to beat Georgia um, you know, he, he's a kid that, you know, he's, he's mature beyond his years and he's a guy who absolutely played really well. Same, you know, in that game defensively, you saw, OU really, 
you know, I think Baylor had 69 yards, I want to say, 67, 69, something like that in, in round, uh, I'm sorry, in the second half. But, you know, Ronnie Perkins, he's only a sophomore, uh, but remember that name, that defensive end, had three sacks, four, four, uh, four tackles for loss. Uh, Kenneth Murray had a couple of tackles for loss as well at the linebacker position. Uh, you know, OU really stepped up. Um, you know, it's uh, Charleston Rambo, another name to remember for next year. Uh, with the depth at the wide receiver position, he's a redshirt sophomore, could come out this year. I just don't expect that to happen. And a heartbreaking loss for Matt Rule and Baylor. You know, really have to respect what Matt Rule's been doing there. Uh, Charlie Brewer, a quarterback to watch next year, 18-29, 194 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, uh, 17 carries for 65 yards and two touchdowns. Favorite target, Denzel Mims, a guy who has a chance to be a day-two pick. You know, six receptions, 92 yards, two touchdowns on the on the, the afternoon. And, uh, you know, when you look at uh, what they did defensively, um, you know, Brevion Roy, you know, they had a total of four sacks. Brevion Roy, who we talked about last week at defensive tackle position, eight tackles and, uh, and a sack from the, from the nose tackle. So you, when you start thinking about some of these things, when you look at this, you know, it, it was still an impressive performance by Baylor. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, they did go down to OU. Uh, unfortunate if, if you're a Baylor Bear fan, I should correct myself. You know, if you're an OU fan, then absolutely you're ecstatic uh, with with that win. So, um, you know, when we look at these, uh, Minnesota going down to Iowa 23-19, um, you know, that was certainly a, a, a shocker of sorts, but it was a trap game, I think, for Minnesota going into Kinnick Stadium. Um, you know, Tanner Morgan, you know, I, I, he's only a redshirt sophomore, 368 yards, threw for another touchdown, uh, but they couldn't get enough really going on the ground. Uh, you know, Rodney Smith, just 14 carries for 46 yards, did score a touchdown. But Tyler Johnson, you know, the back half of the season, getting into Big Ten play, Tyler Johnson's really been been stepping up. Nine catches, 170 yards, and a touchdown in that in that game. Um, you know, I, I think he's one of those guys that um, is going to be right there when you're talking about um, you know, potential, who are the guys that could sneak into round number one? Um, definitely a day two pick if nothing else. And then for Iowa, you know, look, you know, they, they welcome Christian Welch back, the linebacker. He had 11, 11 tackles and, and a sack in that game. But look, you know, it was really the coming out party of AJ Epinesa, the defensive end, 6'6", 280 pounds, four tackles in the game, two and a half sacks, got another quarterback hurry, why are we talking about AJ Epinesa right now? Well, that it's kind of a segue of sorts because last week we talked about defensive tackles, and that's really what we've been doing over the last few weeks here with uh, the podcast. Is we've been talking about the different positions and and how they've been taking shape for the draft. And uh, you know, AJ Epinesa has been one of the top defensive ends throughout the season, and uh, so we're going to break down defensive ends. Uh, you know, like I said last week, we talked about defensive tackles. We looked at the interior of the line. We're going to go ahead and bounce to the outside. Uh, previous podcasts, we talked about the offense. The offense is done uh, for right now. We're going to go ahead and, and circle back to the offense here uh, as uh, the season wraps up. But uh, we're spending time with the defense right now. We're going to be talking about defensive ends. Next week, we'll talk about linebackers. So when we talk linebackers, we're talking both the traditional sense in a 43, but also those 3-4 outside linebackers, the guys that are going to be the rush, the edge rushers in an, in an odd man front. So guys like Kalevin Chason, uh, Julian Aquara, 
Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis, uh, Jonathan Greenard, uh, Daryl Taylor of, of Tennessee. Um, let's see, Zach Bond, uh, Carter Coughlin, and, and a couple of group of five guys to, to keep an eye out for. Alex Highsmith and, uh, of Charlotte, Ladarius Hamilton of North Texas, and then the the name that's really emerging as a guy who's going to be uh, a, a, a someone someone who's going to come off the board in uh, the first three rounds, and that's uh, Hamilcar Rashad, uh, 14 sacks, 12, uh, 22 tackle, 22 and a half tackles for loss, excuse me. And, you know, if he de- decides to come out, he'll be someone who I think because of all the production this year, he's still raw coming off the edge, but uh, a guy who I think uh, because of that potential coming off the edge, you're going to see him uh, be a, a day two pick again if he does decide to come out. But edge rushers uh, at the defensive end position, we're not just talking about Chase Young or A.J. Epinesa. There are a lot of guys in this draft, a lot of guys to keep an eye on. We're going to draw some comparisons. We're going to take a look at some guys, you know, some names that I think people are familiar with as edge rushers. Who's really stepped up this year? Who are guys that have kind of struggled with, from a production standpoint? And we're going to talk a lot about production versus potential. And that was one of the things I talked about last year with, with Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary has all of this athletic ability and all of this talent, but can he put it together? And that was really the biggest thing because from a production standpoint, the production just was not there for Rashawn Gary um, as a, a junior. Really, you were expecting him to step up and be the guy, be the one who's going to um, produce and just be that freak up front still ended up going, you know, number 12 overall to the Packers, but uh, you know, just somebody who you're expecting a little bit more from Uh, so far this year uh, has 12 combined tackles and a sack um, on on the, the season there for the, for the Packers, you know, but at Michigan, Coming off of a, of a sophomore season, 11 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. You're expecting him to really emerge uh, as a junior, wind up with just six and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. And he beat his guy one-on-one, but he just didn't always seem to get home. And that was really the big concern is, is okay, is this big freakish athlete, a guy who's you know, 6'5", 281 pounds, and just you know, running you know, explosive times in the 40, is he somebody who's going to be able to be a disruptor at the next level. And still that, you know, the jury's out on that. Uh, hasn't really seen the field a whole lot there for the Packers. So we'll see what happens. One guy who I think it's safe to say is going to be a menace at the next level. A guy who I think is, you know, should be in consideration for the Heisman Trophy and uh, a guy who is just a game wrecker. And that's Chase Young uh, out of Ohio State. A guy who... You know, could be better than the Bosa brothers, both Joey and Nick, uh, taken in the top three of the draft. I think Chase Young isn't getting out of uh, the number three overall pick. Uh, you know, I look back at 2017, Miles Garrett. You know, was a fir- was the number one overall pick in that draft. So you look at, at, at you know, you talk about Miles Garrett in three seasons there at Texas A&M, 47 tackles for loss, 31 sacks. Um, you know, in his career, five pass breakups, seven forced fumbles. So you talk about him. Then you look at Joey Bosa and Joey Bosa with his hands. I think that's one of the things that you definitely saw. Miles Garrett, you know, it was the explosion. 
Bosa with the hands, violent, um, you know, a guy who can can be disruptive. Third overall pick in 2016. Bosa finished with 51 tackles for loss, 26 sacks, six pass breakups, five forced fumbles. Then his little brother Nick. Nick Bosa, obviously, we know, you know, he had the, uh, you know, the the core injury that really eliminated his junior season after three games. Still ended up with 29 tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks, a couple of pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. Now you look at Chase Young. So here's the thing. Why are we talking about all of these numbers? Well, Chase Young in his three seasons, uh, 35 tackles for loss, 27 and a half sacks, six pass breakups, seven forced fumbles. What has he done so far this year in eight games? Well, he's been a game wrecker. 15 and a half tackles for loss. 13 and a half sacks, a pass breakup, five forced fumbles. So when you're talking about that, he's had at least one tackle for loss in every game, three games with multi-tackle, you know, uh, multi-tackle for loss games. Um, you know, you look at it, you know, 12 um, solo sacks, three assisted sacks, um, 95 total sack yards, which is second in the FBS, um, 1.89 sacks per game. Um, which is first in uh, in all of FBS and uh, second place is is at 1.4 and his 1.9 tackles for loss per game is second only to uh, to Rashad. Uh, but when you look at Chase Young, he, he's so physical, he's so big. I mean, he's just he's chiseled. He's the guy that walks off the bus and you know the guy that you want to have leading your team out onto the football field. But the power, you see just how explosive he is coming off the ball. The speed to power is evident. A guy who just is able to drive his man into the backfield. And then just the athleticism and the explosion. So quick off the ball. Uh, very fluid hips. The ankle flexion. You see him, the, the ability to turn the corner in a hurry and really just explode uh, into the backfield. Flattens out, gets to the quarterback in a hurry. And again, with those seven forced fumbles, he knows what to do when he gets to the football. When he arrives, he's coming with bad intentions. Now, yes, he, he was suspended for, for two games for the... Uh, loan that he took out uh, from a family friend that he paid back, uh, by the way. And and so you look at, at Chase Young, that's not going to affect his draft stock at all. You know, I look at Chase, and uh, especially now that Tua's hip injury, um, you know, you could be talking about Chase Young battling out potentially Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert for the number one overall pick. Uh, Chase Young is, is absolutely that disruptor, a guy on, on the inside, just so explosive. The speed to power, he's going to bull rush you. Uh, he, he's going to uh, beat you off the edge. He's also very quick to the inside. So if you overset on him expecting a speed rush, he is going to beat you to the inside. He, he's going to take a couple of steps to the outside, quick arm over to the inside, and he's by you and he's getting to the quarterback. Very, very disruptive. You have to know where he is on the field at all times. A.J. Epinesa, is he the number two defensive end? Well, it, it absolutely looked like it after last season. You know, that's really where he set the tone. You know, a five-star recruit, 6'6", 280 pounds, as a sophomore, 16.5 tackles for loss, 10.5 sacks, uh, three pass breakups, four forced fumbles, had a fumble return for a touchdown as well. And that was 
as a backup. He was a number three uh, defensive end there for the Hawkeyes. He was playing behind Anthony Nelson and Parker Hesse. Uh, and this year, he ultimately gets the the starting nod, uh, playing opposite uh, Cedric. La- or, I'm sorry, Chauncey Golston, Cedric Lattimore, Brady Rafe. They're in that defensive tackle. And, uh, you know, teams are kind of keying in on A.J. Epinesa. You know, he hasn't had quite the production this year. Uh, you know, seven sacks, though, three pass breakups, two forced fumbles. And it looks like he may be getting into a groove. You know, the I, I said, you know, he was struggling to start out the year. Three sacks through seven games. But in the last three games, uh, four tackles for loss. Those are the four, four, uh, four sacks and uh, two forced fumbles, including the two and a half sacks there against the Golden Gophers. Um you know, but but a season prior, you know, you're looking at you know nine games with a sack, uh, coming off the bench, eleven games with at least a tackle for loss, including eight games in a row with a tackle for loss. And I think when you watch AJ Epinesa, he's not the explosive pass rusher that that Chase Young is. He's just not. Um, you know, but what he does have is a lot of power in his hands. You see him explode off the football, and the hands get right into. The, the body of the offensive tackle and that power, the powerful punch really kind of takes that, that offensive tackle, gets him off balance. And then he's able to use either a quick uh, club and rip or, uh, you know, to get the hands off of him, uses his hands to slap the, the ends. Uh, I'm sorry, the tackles hands off of him. And then he, he turns the corner. I, I think there's a little bit of stiffness in his hips, but uh, he has excellent length and a guy who can, can absolutely, uh, come off the edge and and uh, be a uh, be ferocious. You know, 29 tackles for loss, 22 sacks, seven pass breakups, seven forced fumbles in his career with uh, the Hawkeyes. And uh, you know, from a production standpoint, you know, there has been a drop off. You have to wonder, you know, why that is. His first year as a as a full time starter. Um, you know, and, and teams keying in on him a little bit, but even when he's one on one against the offensive tackles, not always able to get off blocks. Uh, and I think some of that too with some of the stiffness bending off um, off, off the edge. But uh, he has the size. I think he's scheme versatile. Um, I, I watch the way watch him play, and, and you kind of think JJ Watt a little bit. Um, so I, I think if teams sleep on on AJ Epinesa, they they may be regretting it down the road. Um, because he can be um, you know, a game wrecker coming off the edge. So who's the number three defensive end? We've been talking so much about Chase Young and A.J. Epinesa. Who's next? And I think there are a couple of guys on the list. You know, uh, Yitro Grossmatos of, of Penn State, uh, 6'5", 264-pound junior, excellent length. I think that's one of the things that you really see that stands out uh, if you watch him there at Penn State. But I'm going with Curtis Weaver. Out of Boise State, 6'3", 265-pound junior. All you see out of this guy is production. And I'm going to give you a name that I compare him to a little bit. And uh, it, it was the 14th overall pick of the 2017 draft. And that, that's Derek Barnett. You know, And what's interesting is you look at the two of them, both 6'3". Uh, you know, Derek Barnett weighed in at 259 at the Combine. Curtis Weaver's right around 265, so pretty close there. Uh, and then the production, 
you know, obviously Derek Barnett, 198 tackles. Uh, he, he's got about 80 on, on Curtis Weaver, who only has 118. But when you look at making plays behind, uh, you know, behind the line of scrimmage in the in the backfield, Derek Barnett, 52 tackles for loss, 32 sacks, six pass breakups. Then we look at Curtis Weaver, 44 and a half tackles for loss, 33 sacks, uh, six pass breakups, three forced fumbles. Um, you know, when, when you look at that, uh, you know, the body type. You know the the explosiveness, the nonstop motor. Um, you know those are things that I think you you can really draw some parallels. And uh, you know what, what's interesting, I went back and actually read, uh, went to the archives on the Ready for the Draft uh, website, readyforthedraft.com. If you go to the site and you go to the to the archive, you go under 2017 draft. And uh, I actually have Barnett going number nine overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, but uh, when you read about Barnett, you know I, I write you know that uh, Barnett surpassed Reggie White as uh, the Tennessee's all-time leading sack artist with 33 sacks in his three seasons. Tireless worker, good four-step quickness, powerful hands, and good closing speed. Excellent job timing jumps to beat his man off the ball. Plays with great leverage, staying low off the ball, dipping his inside shoulder to get to the corner. Uses his hands to, to quickly club the, the offensive tackles, hands aside, then ripping through to get by. Does a really good job attacking the, the tackles outside shoulder and gets his hips around quickly to set the to get to the edge. Once he's free from the blockers, has a closing burst to get to the quarterback in a hurry. Relentless in his pursuit of the football, never gives up on a play. Uh, and I, I think when you look at that, when you talk about Curtis Weaver getting after the quarterback, I think the parallels are absolutely there. Um, you know, one of the things that you know we we don't see quite as much with Curtis Weaver um, is making some plays behind behind the line of scrimmage and setting the edge. I think that's the difference between Weaver and Barnett. Uh, you know, Barnett. Um, you know, I, I mentioned not only the 30, uh, 33 sacks, but uh, 52 tackles for loss. So, you know, he made 19 plays against the run behind the line of scrimmage versus Curtis Weaver with just uh, 11 and a half. So a little bit of a difference there when you're talking about that. Um, you know, I thought that that Barnett really stout against uh, against a run at the point of attack and set the edge. That's one of the things that you want to see Curtis Weaver do a little bit more of. But uh He's someone uh, again. It's really explosive, and the tackles for loss this season. You know, it's the most that he's had: sixteen and a half uh, tackles for loss, and uh, one point seven per game, which ranks him uh, in a, a tie for sixth in the FBS. And then his one point two five sacks per game ranks him third in the FBS, behind uh, Chase Young and uh, Mr. Hamilcar Rashad. Uh, so Curtis Weaver, to me, I think is probably going to be a, a mid-first rounder. You know, Derek Barnett came off the board number 14 overall. I think Curtis Weaver is probably going to be in the probably the 15 to 20 range. Probably somewhere around there would be my guess. Um, but uh, definitely a guy who I think is not getting out of the first round. Some people don't have him in round number one. And I think, you know, as we see everyone go through the pre-draft process, people are going to fall in love with Curtis Weaver. Now, getting back to the Nittany Lion, uh, Yitzhak Grossmatos, uh, really a breakout season in 2018, 54 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, eight sacks, a couple of forced fumbles and a fumble recovery. You see the his ability to really explode off the football, uses his length to his advantage, keeping the offensive tackle off of him and uh, uses his hands to ensure that he, he gets 
sufficient clearance off of the, the tackle before he, he starts attacking the quarterback. Um, this year, uh, you know, 10 tackles for loss, six sacks, you know, in his career, 32 tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. And, and when you look at it, you know, the, the tackles for loss a season ago absolutely jump out to you. And you're really hoping, and what I was hoping for at least, was to see more of an ability to uh, get to the quarterback, to get home and make plays. You know, is he going to be an edge rusher? Is he going to be a guy who's going to set the edge? I think he does a little bit of both. But uh, in terms of draft stock, you know, I, I don't see him, you know, he'll probably be a guy who's coming off the board in the back half of round number one. But I think he is a first round pick. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, you see enough uh, explosion coming off the football. You see, you know, six um, multi-tackle for loss games uh, in his, his sophomore season. Um, you know, just four tackles for loss, including two sacks against Iowa, you know, with nine tackles, uh, 10 tackles against uh, against Indiana with, with a couple of tackles for loss and a couple of sacks. So he's some one of those guys who, when he really gets a chance coming off the edge and firing off the edge, he can take over a game himself. You know, one of the things that I'm a little disappointed with is just the fact that you know, he hasn't been as productive this year as he has a, a season ago. Um, and, and he's playing on a line with the likes of Shaka Tony coming off the edge and uh, Robert Windsor to the inside. Um, you know, Kevin Givens isn't on the line this year. But I uh, was really expecting to see you know, a lot more. He, he is getting some one-on-one matchups. And he, he's one of those guys. Is he ever going to be a double-digit sack guy at the next level? I, I don't know that that's really in his makeup. But he's one of those guys who is going to make plays. He's going to live in opposing backfields. And he's going to make plays. And there's a guy, you know, there's definitely a, a home for that type of person, that type of player at the next level. I just don't see that person coming off the board likely in uh, the top top 15, top 20 picks. So I think when you're talking about pass rushers in this year's draft, I think those, um, at least at the defensive end position, those have to be the top four guys, right? After that, you have to kind of weigh some of the pros and the cons and really what are you looking for in a defensive end. Um, there's Alton Robinson out of Syracuse. He's 6'4", 260 pounds. Uh, the senior really had a breakout uh 29, I'm sorry, 2018 in his second season there with the Orange, 17 tackles for loss, 10 sacks, really explosive coming off the edge. I, I think that's one of the things that that I, I definitely remember uh, in 2018. You just saw the explosion, you know, lining up in a sprinter stance, coming off the edge, and uh, a guy who can rush the passer both as a stand-up end and, and with his hand in the dirt as well. Um, you know, had three multi-sack games, in 2018, uh, including a sack in three of his final four games. So I think everyone was really expecting him to take off this year. He and Kendall Coleman playing um, you know, opposite him. And uh, so far on the year, just seven tackles for loss, three sacks. Uh, does have three pass breakups to his name. So you know, 30 tackles for loss, 18 sacks in his career in just three seasons there with Syracuse. But um, you know, it's one of those things the production, you know, the, the steep drop off, you know, teams really paying attention to him a lot more. And, uh, you know, Kendall Coleman, uh, opposite him, you're really expecting these two guys to kind of, you know, take Syracuse to the next level. And, you know, that just hasn't happened for, for Dino Babers. And, uh, 
you know, Kendall Coleman, also a senior opposite him, uh, nine tackles for loss and four sacks on the year, 25 tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks in 2018, 12 tackles for loss, 10 sacks. So there, there's a significant drop off there in production for both of these defensive ends. And Syracuse is struggling, you know, because of that. Uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that, that the defense just absolutely needed was getting more pressure on uh, on the passer. And that's something that, you know, really when you look at, at their record um, overall, you know, in 2018, they had just three losses. So they, you know, they, they won their first four games, lost a couple, won four more, and uh, lost to Notre Dame before uh, winning against West Virginia in the bowl game. So you go nine and three. You know, that's definitely respectable. Uh, this year's, though, you look at it and, you know, they've won just four games. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it, it you know, comes down to offensive, uh, offensively that they're struggling a little bit. And uh, defensively, they're not really getting the pressure on the quarterback to be as disruptive and make plays on the on the defensive side of the football. Uh, so that's one of the things. Is it indicative of, of Alan, uh, Alton Robinson, the NFL prospect, you know, it's hard to say really, but, uh, you know, that's one of the things that is going to be cause for concern is that significant drop off and, uh, really the drop off overall for Syracuse as a program as a whole. One guy who hasn't had any concerns with production is Bradley and Nye out of Utah, 6'3, 265 pounds. And uh, so far this year has 10 sacks, 11 total tackles for loss. Uh, this is a big physical guy, uh, someone who you'll see him stand up and, and rush the passer as well uh, for the Utes, but has good power in his hands. I think he bends pretty well, can run the arc, um, uses, his, again, uses the hands. I think that's one of the things that I think of when, when I think of Bradley and I is just the physicality, um, you know, he and, and Leckie Fotu, you know, that, that entire offensive line, they just look to, to maul you. They look to beat you up whenever possible. And uh, he's just so physical at the point of attack. I think that's one of the things that makes him so fun to watch. Um, but uh, 30 tackles, let's see, uh, looking at my numbers. Let's see. Yeah, 37 tackles for loss, 26 and a half sacks, three pass breakups, and, and five forced fumbles. 26 and a half sacks. You know, that's the active leader among all uh, Pac 12 performers. And I believe in the FBS, uh, the only guy that has more than his 26 and a half is Curtis Weaver with his, uh, with his 33. I'm sorry, there's Curtis. Uh, Curtis Weaver, Chase Young, and then Bradley and I. So he's in pretty good company. He's going to be somebody that people are going to look at and say, well, is Bradley and I a, uh, a day two pick? So you know, when I look at, at him, let's compare him maybe to, to Nate Orchard, another Utah Ute, came out in the 2015 draft, was a second-round pick, 51st overall of the Cleveland Browns, 6'4", 255. You know, so similar you know, in terms of their size. And uh, – Really, in two seasons, you saw Nate Orchard, his senior year, really exploded. You know, 21 tackles for loss, 18 and a half sacks uh, to, to his credit. You know, so obviously, uh, you know, one of the things, though, that I, that I am so impressed with Bradley and I, though, is for the last three seasons, he's averaged at least, uh, you know, double-digit tackles for loss and, it, you know, has had at least seven sacks. 
Um, so he's somebody I think when you look at it, he may not have had one splash year that like Nate Orchard has, but he's somebody who's been consistent, been consistently getting after the quarterback. And I think that's where you look at uh, you know what Bradley and I can do getting after the quarterback. He's someone who I think can get on the field early. If nothing else, is a situational pass rusher, maybe even a guy who can set the edge a little bit for you, um, you know, on on defense. But I think he could end up being a a day two pick and someone like I said who I think could be productive uh, very early on. I'll give you a name that really was was kind of the name that everyone was talking about at the beginning of the season and the production's kind of tailored uh, tapered off and that's uh, Carlos Boogie Basham uh junior the 6'5 275 pounds junior out of Wake Forest and uh so far this season 14 tackles for loss seven and a half sacks and you look at that and you're you know that looks looks to be a solid season, right? So he had sacks in the first three games, including two and a half sacks in that big win over uh, North Carolina. Problem is, he's only had one and a half sacks in, in the last seven games. So that, that's one of the things that, that you really, that, that is concerning when you watch him play. Um, you know, tackle for loss, so in every game, three multi-tackle for loss games as well. He is explosive. Uh, he, he uses a, a an arm over that is, is one of the quicker uh, pass rush moves of the guys that, that are in this draft class. And uh, if he comes out, he could end up being a day two pick. I think that's one of the things that you could see happening. The, the one question that I have when you look at Carlos uh, Boogie Basham is, is he someone who could potentially come back for his senior season? I think it's entirely possible. You look at uh, Jamie Newman as a junior quarterback, and Sage Surratt as the redshirt sophomore uh, wide receiver. If all of these guys, all of these underclassmen come back, Wake Forest and Dave Clawson could really have something going. So it would be interesting to see what happens with with Carlos Basham. But that was the name early on that everyone was talking about, uh, really one of the more explosive pass rushers. And, uh, you know, he's kind of tapered off a little bit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if he decides that he wants to come out after this season's over. So we'll move from uh, from the ACC to the Big Ten and take a look at Kenny Willickus, 6'4", 260 pounds from, from Michigan State. And this was a guy, you know, his freshman year just played in one game. But uh, after that, you know, you're looking at a, at a defensive end, essentially three seasons. He's, he's put up 209 tackles, uh, 43 tackles for loss, 19 and a half sacks, seven pass breakups, a couple of forced fumbles. And you know what he reminds me of? He really reminds me of Chase Winovich because, you know, they both play like they, you know, their, their hair's on fire uh, coming after the quarterback. And Chase Winovich, similar in height, you know, 6'3", two, uh, 253. And, uh, you know, you look at the numbers and the production and uh, they're, they're very comparable. Uh, and, you know, when, when Chase Winovich, let's see, as a... Uh, you know, as a, as a senior, he had 15 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. Willickis, 20 and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks. Uh, you know, and then the year before, Chase Winovich, 19 tackles for loss and eight and a half sacks. Willickis, 13 tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. So you look at it from the production standpoint, both of those guys, I think it is comparable. And you know, those are two uh, rivals. I'm sure that they're probably uh, not thrilled or at least the the Michigan and uh, Michigan State fans probably not thrilled that I'm comparing the two, but you know it's something that just definitely fits. And 
man, I, I think when you look at it, you know, just someone who was, has been so productive uh, for this program um, and really, you know, nine and a half tackles for loss and six sacks so far this year. And, uh, you know, Willikis was someone who beginning of the season was really, um, uh, you know, another one who was kind of setting the stage for uh, a banner season. And, you know, that, that's really kind of tapered off from there. In his first three games against Tulsa, Western Michigan, Arizona State had uh, six tackles for loss, including three and a half sacks, but then nothing. You know, have one tackle for loss in the next, let's see, one, two, three, four. In the next five games uh, against Illinois and Michigan, uh, you know, had, let's see, two and a half uh, tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Um you know, when you look at the the previous season, his junior year, which was really his banner year, uh, had a tackle for, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six games with at least two tackles for loss, including four uh, behind the line of scrimmage against the Nebraska Cornhuskers, had three and a half sack, uh, tackles for loss and a sack against Ohio State. Um, let's see, just one double-digit I'm sorry, not double digit, but uh, multi sack game, and that came in the opener against Utah State. Um, but a guy who just knew how, knows how to get after the quarterback, and uh, you know. But I, I worry about him getting off blocks, and that's one of the things I, I think for me. As he's gone up against better, um, better competition, he's really struggled to make an impact, and I think that's one of the things that. You, know, you look at Michigan State and, and some of the productivity there for not only him, but you know now with Joe Bocci being out uh, for the use of PEDs and um, you know Antoine Simmons, Tyreek Thompson, you know at the linebacker position, really having to try to step up and, and fill that void. Um, you know Raquan Williams has been stout in the middle there, but uh, you know really the defense hasn't been the issue; it's been more of the offense. But uh, Kelly Will- Kenny Willickis, when he was really um, balling out up front, you know that's when I-, I think Michigan State was at their best. And now you're looking at a team that has a five-game losing streak, and uh, you know a big part of that, you know, when when Willickis only has two and a half sacks to his credit, uh, you know, I think that makes a a big difference overall. So. Moving from Kenny Willickis, we're going to take a look at a guy who, you know, has been a a force for the Florida Gators, but he's been bit with the injury bug this year, and I think people are, are forgetting about him, and they shouldn't be, and that's Jabari Zuniga, 6'4", 246 pounds, the senior, um, you know, in four games, five and a half tackles for loss and three sacks, okay, and, and he still has 33 tackles for loss and 18 and a half sacks, uh, to to his credit, uh, even with only playing four four games this season, um, he's someone for me. Um, you know, look in, in his four games this year against Miami to start out the year, three tackles for loss, one and a half sacks against uh, Tennessee Martin, uh, one and a half sacks. Um, LSU and Georgia just had you know had a tackle for loss in each of those games, so still making an impact, even though he was still coming back from injury. 
Um, and I think the thing when he was healthy at the beginning of the season, you saw you know Jabari and Jonathan Greenard really playing off of each other, coming off the edge. Um, you know he was just so explosive. I thought he timed up the the snap count really well, shooting into the backfield. And and he and Jonathan Greenard, you know, if if Zuniga stays healthy. You know, you're, you're talking about a guy who's going to have double double digit sacks, uh, a guy who's going to have double digit tackle, tackles for loss, and uh, a guy who can really you know just dis- really disrupt not only the pass but the run as well. A guy who can set the edge, and, and it's one of those things too when Florida. Uh, on an obvious passing downs, Jabari would even move inside uh, to a defensive tackle position um, and be an interior pass rusher. So he has some of that experience as well. Um, you know, he, he's he's a little on the under, undersized side. He's 6'4", 246 pounds. Um, so he may need to bulk up a little bit, get to about 260 to play at the next level. You just hope that that doesn't take away from some of the explosiveness. But he's a guy who lives in opposing backfields. He's a guy who can get home to the quarterback. But uh, you know, he, he's not going to be a one-trick pony. He's not going to just be a situational pass rusher. He's a guy who I think can play in the league a long time because he knows how to set the edge. He knows how to get off blocks. He knows how, how to stack and shed and, and make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. Speaking of guys who know how to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, how about Joe Gaziano out of Northwestern? 6'4", 275 pounds, and uh, a guy that people aren't really talking about so much, but 44.5 tackles for loss, 27.5 sacks, 13 pass breakups, 8 forced fumbles, 4 fumble recoveries, and uh, you know he's he's a guy who I think could be scheme versatile. I think he could be a, a 4-3 defensive end, can also play in a, in a 34 defense as well as a, as a 5 technique. Um He's he's got I think underrated, um, you know he's not the most explosive pass rusher, but I think he's underrated in terms of of his burst coming off the football. I think he's got good power in his hands, excellent length uh, for the position as well, um, and just relentless. Just always motor is always running. He's getting after the quarterback. You're never having to worry about you know whether or not he's going to take a playoff. And he reminds me of, of Dean Lowry. He's not quite as big as Lowry. Lowry, you know, uh, another Northwestern Wildcat, 6'6", 290 pounds. was 137th pick uh, of the Green Bay Packers, taken in the fourth round. But, you know, you look at the numbers. Numbers are comparable, even when you look at the tackles. Uh, I'm sorry, the yeah, the, the, the total tackles. Gaziano, 143. Dean Lowry, 139. Um, you know, Lowry, 31 tackles for loss and 12 and a half sacks. Um, you know, had 17 pass breakups, uh, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. So they're 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 pretty comparable there. I think Joe Joey Gaziano uh, with the sacks um, has been pretty consistently you know, getting after the quarterback and, and somebody who I think when you look at him, he'll probably be a fourth round pick, and some team will be very excited, very happy that they do. I think he'll be someone that could probably bulk up to. Uh, you know, 280, 290, and and potentially be a a you know a, a five technique, but uh, he's also somebody who I think could be a a defensive end in a 43 defense and uh, uses that length to his advantage coming off the edge. Uh, Marlon Davidson out of Auburn, six three, two hundred seventy eight pound senior, and here's another guy who does a great job setting the edge against the run. Twenty five and a half tackles for loss, thirteen and a half sacks, nine pass breakups. Uh, does a great job. You, know, you watch him play, and he reads the quarterback's eyes. So when he's not actually getting home, coming off the edge, he, he does a really good job reading the quarterback's eyes, timing his jumps uh, to get his hand into the passing lane and, and knock passes down. But uh, Marlon Davidson, to me, 
you know, when I watched him go up against Andrew Thomas, the, the, the Georgia offensive tackle, he really struggled. And obviously you're going up against a guy who is uh, arguably the number one offensive tackle. If he's not number one, then he's number two. He and Tristan Wirfs are going to kind of battle that one out. But uh, he really struggled to get off the block. You know, he, he wasn't as explosive coming off the football. Uh, he is a little stiff in his hips. He's going to use a little bit of the speed to power, uses his hands very well, does a good job with a lot of his counter moves. But uh, a- Andrew Thomas never really seemed to be um, in distress at all. He looked to be very under control and uh, you know, was able to sit down, mirror him really well. And, and you know, Marlon Davidson really just didn't have an answer for Andrew Thomas. And that's concerning. You know, that's, I think that's one of the things to where that's going to probably push him to day three. Um, you know, might end up even falling to, to the fifth round. Um, but he's a, a veteran. He's a guy, again, he can set the edge against the run. Um, and so I think there is value there for Marlon Davidson at the next level. I just don't know about what his ceiling's really going to be as a pass rusher. I think he's going to be somebody who's uh, going to come in and really be a guy who's going to be a situational player making plays around the line of scrimmage. Let's talk about let's talk about a junior in this class. James Lynch, 6'4", 290-pound junior out of Baylor. Now, James Lynch this year has 12.5 tackles for loss, 8.5 sacks, and you see you know, a surprising burst for a guy that size, 6'4", 290, and he explodes out of his stance, uses his hands really well, um, I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of these guys, the hand usage is 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 spot on. Um, but with with Lynch, he he's it, it's so deceptive. You, you watch him play, and you're not expecting him to really uh, beat guys coming off the edge with with the speed, just because he is as big as as big as he is at 290 pounds. But he's he's in there beating guys off the football. He's timing the snap cut, snap counts, and uh, he's making plays, shooting gaps, and making plays behind the line of scrimmage. I think that's some, one of the things that um, definitely stands out. And, uh, you know, the, the hands. You know, I, I talk about that, you know, the, the power. And uh, he, he's someone... Not only with the hands, but uh, you know, this, just this overall speed to power, driving guys. You know, the bull rush, able to. You know, he, he does a really, he has a really good long arm. He'll sit there and just take his his arm and extend it into the pad level, uh, or into the the shoulder pad of the offensive tackle, drive him back into the quarterback, and uh, he can make some plays against the against the run as well. Twenty six tackles for loss, fifteen sacks in his career. Is he somebody who's going to come out in this year's draft? I I don't know that he will. But uh, when I watch him play and I look at his body type, he reminds me a lot of Justin Smith, who was a number four overall pick of the 49ers back in the t- uh, 2001 draft. Um, and, and Smith, you know, 6'4", 285 pounds, uh, as a, uh, in his final year there with the Missouri Tigers, had 11 sacks, 24 tackles for loss, 97 total tackles. Is James Lynch going to put up that type of production? No, uh, he, frankly, he's not. But, uh, you know, the, the explosion... For, for a guy that size, a guy who's going to keep working to the quarterback, um, you know, someone who uh, knows what to do. You know, he has four pass breakups as well. So it's one of those things that I think the comparison, you know, that's just somebody who who reminds me, you know, reminds me of him. And 
know, Justin, Justin Smith had a very long career at the next level and somebody who I thought continued to progress and continued to get after the quarterback. And like a James Lynch, I think he's one of those guys who can be that, that exact, exact same player, be a, a, a five technique and uh, have a long career in the NFL. You know, but I'd love to see him come back, play one more year and solidify himself as a first rounder. You know, I was talking about hands, and uh, I just remembered a note that I had here uh, against Minnesota. Uh, A.J. Epinesa going up against Sam Schluter, the left tackle. You know, what I'm talking about when we're talking about the hands is he actually extended his left arm into the, the pad level, really on a bull rush, and then kind of got it underneath the armpit and just jacked Schluter back. Just pay, basically picked him up and just kind of tossed him uh, and able to really collapse the pocket. The quarterback ultimately had to uh, escape, and uh, you know Tanner Morgan ultimately ran into uh, Brady Reef, the defensive tackle, who ended up getting that sack. Uh, but Epinesa, the hands, the power, uh, James Lynch, absolutely the same way. Carter Coughlin out of uh, Minnesota, another guy who's going to. Um, you know, he, he's not going to wow you with, with a lot of the, um, the athleticism, I would say. Um, but somebody who has violent hands and, and that, that's really what I, what I look at there with, with Carter Coughlin, you know, he, he bends pretty well for, um, for, for a guy, he's 6'4", 245 pounds, 39 tackles for loss, 22 and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles, uh, knows what to do when he gets home. Um, you know, and, uh, back to back, uh, double digit tackles for loss in his sophomore and junior seasons. And, uh, you know, in 16 sacks in those, in, uh, in those two years as well, um, hasn't been asked really to, to be the guy, you know, we've kind of spread around some of the, um, some of the plays behind the line of scrimmage. You see Kamal Martin making a lot of plays. You see uh, Thomas Barber at the linebacker position. You see Sam Renner at defensive tackle. Uh, Antoine Winfield making plays all over the field. So Carter Coughlin isn't at it alone. Uh, and so I, I think taking some of that pressure off of him. Um, you know, I look at Carter Coughlin. You know, Blake Cashman ended up showing up really well at the combine. I expect Carter Coughlin to show up pretty well as uh, as well. I, I think there is a little bit of stiffness in his hips, but, um, you know, if he can show out like Blake Cashman did, Blake Cashman's actually having a really great year for the Jets this year. And uh, I think Carter Coughlin, at least if nothing else, can be a situational pass rusher. I think he can end up being a little scheme versatile as well, maybe play in space. Um, you know, although I, I don't know that he'd be able to drop into coverage, but, um, you know, allowing him to play, put his hand in the dirt, get after the quarterback. And I think he's got some potential. Um, let's see, who else can we talk about here? I'll give you a couple of, of group of five guys, and then we'll talk about a couple of FCS, uh, pass rushers before we go ahead and, and uh, call it a podcast. But, uh, Travis Gibson out of Tulsa, 6'4", 268 pounds, uh, the, the senior in his last two years with the Golden, uh, Golden Hurricane, 83 total tackles. Uh, but but 20 tackles for, 20 and a half tackles for loss, including 11 and a half this year and 11 sacks, uh, you know, including seven so far this year. And he's had seven forced fumbles during that time as well. Had five uh, as a junior. And uh, you know, Delonte Scott out of SMU, six five two fifty, and um, let's see. 
30 tackles for loss in his career, 30 and a half tackles for loss, excuse me, with 14 and a half sacks, including, uh, let's see, um, in the last two seasons alone, uh, 23 tackles for loss, including 12 and a half so far this year, and then 11 sacks, six and a half to his credit. So, you know, really two guys who are coming on and emerging uh, as playmakers down the stretch. Um, if you want to look for another uh, power five guy, I'm sorry, group of five guy, how about Brendan Hayes out of uh, UCF? Could potentially be a, a five technique, 6'3, 293 pounds, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks, um, you know, double digit. Uh, tackles for loss as a, a junior and then as a senior nine tackles for loss six and a half sacks you know he, he's a he's a big guy uh uses his hands really well pretty powerful at the point of attack does a decent job setting the edge against the run as well um you know, those are three names to just be mindful of they're they're going to be day three guys if they get drafted but uh you know just guys to keep an eye on as we go through the all-star process you know, i'd love to see them at least if nothing else, get to the East-West Shrine game and uh, you know see what they can do there. So I promised three names at the FCS level, and I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. One guy that I got to watch play is Nick Wheeler out of Colgate. 6'2", 255 pounds, 18.5 tackles were lost, 9.5 sacks on the year. And he's somebody who I think is so explosive coming off the football, uses his hands really well. There's that word again, the hands, but but it's absolutely true. I think he uses his arm over really well, uh, slap and rip. You know, a, a really good repertoire of a pass rush moves. You know, little undersized again at six two two fifty five, but a guy who knows how to get after the quarterback, and I'd love to see him get a shot. Uh, another guy, Bryce Stirk, out of a uh, uh, Montana State, six five two hundred sixty one pounds, and uh, you know eleven sacks so far this year. Um, had 17 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks to go along with 61 tackles in his first season there with the Bobcats. Um, and then Justice Reed out of Youngstown State, 6'3", 270 pounds. Um, and uh, so far this year, 15 tackles for loss, 10 and a half sacks. Uh, those are three guys who really have done a tremendous job getting after the quarterback. I see them as uh, guys who uh, could be edge rushers at the defensive end position. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping they get a shot. I don't know if any of them are going to get drafted. I think they'd be late day three picks. Um, but I, I'd love to see them get invited to some of the uh, all-star games and then see what they can do, see if they can make some plays behind the line of scrimmage against, um, you know, some tougher competition. And uh, who knows? You know, let's see what happens with some of the workouts. But uh, I think those are guys who are adept at getting after the quarterback and uh, you know, you can never have enough guys who can, who can rush the quarterback. So um, that's why I I think these are three guys. If I'm looking at FCS prospects um, at the defensive end position, you know, I want to see who can, who can get after the quarterback, who can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. And uh, these are three guys that, uh, you know, I I got to watch Wheeler. I got to watch Reed. I haven't gotten to watch Sterk play yet this year. Uh, but I'm going to make sure that I do so. And when I do, I'll make sure to talk about him in uh, in that podcast. So that's the defensive end position. Again, I, I mentioned that we were talking about the uh, pass rushers at the linebacker position. We'll also talk about the traditional linebackers. So we'll talk about the likes of, of uh, Isaiah Simmons. We'll talk about where Dylan Moses fits in, even though he was out for the season. Should he come out uh, and where would he come off the board? 
Monty Monty Rice, uh, David Woodward. Where does uh, Kenneth Murray fit into all of this? And then a name that nobody's really mentioning. How about Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech? Uh, all he's doing is, is making plays behind the line of scrimmage, leading the, the country in tackles for loss. And then uh, Evan Weaver out of Cal. Uh, another guy, you know, had a hundred, over 150 tackles a season ago. Maybe not the most athletic guy, but a guy who has incredible instincts. We'll be talking about him as well. So, what are we looking forward to week 13? What games am I going to be taking a look at? Uh, I think it has to start with with the Penn State Ohio State um, at the Horseshoe. Uh, number two ranked Buckeyes taking on the number eight Nittany Lions. Um, I've got Ohio State in this game. Chase Young's going to be back and uh, making some plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, there's just so much talent on that team. You've got J.K. Dobbins and uh, Justin Fields, who's going to be a pro prospect in next year's draft. K.J. Hill and, uh, and Austin Mack uh, at the receiver position. Uh, Benjamin Victor as well. Um, and then when you're looking at the defensive line, not only do you have uh, Chase Young, but I think Robert Landers is going to get a look there at the defensive tackle position. How about Malik Harrison at the linebacker position? And then, of course, you've got Jeffrey Okuda, uh, who's going to be the number one corner taken in the draft. You have Sean Wade, who is a potential first-round pick. Jordan Fuller, an experienced safety as well. Those will be some names to watch out for. I mentioned with Penn State, you got Yutra Gross Matos. Can he make plays behind the line of scrimmage? He's going to have to match uh, Chase Young with his production. You know Chase Young's going to be hungry, so uh, Gross Matos is going to have to match that. They do have uh, Shaka Tony on the opposite side. He's only a junior, could come back. Robert Windsor, we talked about him last week, making some plays in the middle there. Micah uh, Parsons. Outside linebacker for for Penn State, a guy who makes plays all over the field. He's going to be a guy that we're talking about as a as a top fifteen pick in next year's draft. Um, so that'll be a fun matchup. Um, Alabama without Tua Mac uh, Mac Jones getting introduced to uh, Western Carolina. So that'll be a nice tune up game there before they have to take on the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Minnesota looking to come back. They're number ten in the country, taking on Northwestern. Um, look to see how they bounce back. Um, let's see, Oklahoma State. I saw that Spencer Sanders is out for the year, so it's going to be the Chuba, uh, Chuba Hubbard show. Chuba, you know, really can showcase himself, um, get some votes there for the Heisman, and uh, you know, really improve his draft stock. Um, as we go through some of these morning games, um, UVA taking on Liberty. Would have loved to been able to see An- uh, Antonio Gandy Golden take on Bryce Hall. Bryce Hall obviously out for the year. Um, but I think it'll still be a fun matchup seeing Gandy Golden go up against uh, the Cavaliers. If you haven't gotten to see him play yet, he's a a, a pretty special receiver. Uh, Notre Dame taking on Boston College. Uh, Steve Adazio's group, you know, really an up-and-down season. Um, really want to see what uh, A.J. Dillon can do against that defense, um, You know, especially with uh, you know, Khalid Kareem, uh, Julian Aquara, and then uh, Aloy Gilman. At the safety position, and uh, you know it, it'll be interesting, you know, to to see what Boston College can do. I think Notre Dame's going to end up winning that game, but uh, you know, BC if they can really you know play ball posi- uh, ball possession, let those running backs go, um, and uh, you know really control the, the the line of scrimmage. It'll really be interesting. I think Georgia has a test against Texas A and M. The big worry that I have there for you know for the Aggies is. 
I thought A&M played, played pretty well defensively against Alabama, but it was ultimately Kellen Mond who struggled and kind of let the team down a little bit, and uh, Alabama ultimately was able to pull away. I could potentially see that the same thing happening there with Georgia, although Georgia hasn't had a, a very explosive offense, but at the same time, they've been effective and been able to punch it into the end zone when needed. Um, let's see, Indiana, you know, the upstart Hoosiers taking on Michigan, number 13 ranked uh, Wolverines. That'll be a fun game to watch, as will Texas. Sam Ellinger against Charlie Brewer and the Baylor Bears, number 14 in the country there in Waco. Uh, you know, how are they going to bounce back after the, the game against OU? Uh, you've got USC and UCLA, the Crosstown Rivalry, playing for the victory bell. USC actually ranked number 23 in the uh, college football playoff rankings. They'll be playing at the Coliseum. Uh, Keaton Slovis, if you got, haven't gotten to watch him yet, the freshman, he's fun to watch. Throwing the ball to Michael Pittman Jr., who I think you know isn't getting out of the second round at the wide receiver position. So let's see. We continue to move along. Um, Pitt and Virginia Tech, that'll be an interesting game. Um, they're in the ACC. Um Scrolling through other games to watch. LSU taking on Arkansas. Um, you know, I think that'll be kind of a, another tune-up game there for LSU as they go into the, the remainder of the season. Cincinnati Bearcats. You know, Josiah DeGuara, the tight end. I saw that he's just uh, been invited and accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Michael Warren Jr., the uh, junior running back. He, he's kind of a, you know, I, I think his nickname is Truck. And uh, he, he plays that way. He hits pretty hard. Hits like a ton of bricks. Temple, uh, Quincy Roche is a junior uh, defensive end. He'd be an outside linebacker at the next level. He's kind of an undersized D end. But, uh, you know, I think he'll be leading that Temple defense. Also has a couple of linebackers there that I think could end up having a shot at the next level in Sam Franklin and Sean Bradley, along with uh, a corner, junior corner, Harrison Hand. Um, so if nothing else, tune in. You know, that's a... Uh, you know, an American conference game, you know, group of five and uh, a team that uh, would be fun to watch. Oregon going on the road to Temp- uh, on the road in Tempe, Sun Devil Stadium against Arizona State and uh, Justin Herbert. You know, you, you want to be able to watch him play. You want to watch that offensive line. Um, you know, and what can Justin Herbert do, you know, to really help Oregon's draft, uh, stock there in the, I said draft stock, but they're actually in the college football playoff. Uh, they're number six. Uh, they really have to win out and win convincingly. Um, you know, I think they still need a little bit of help there with, with Bama, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to really depend on what Mac Jones is able to do there at Bama. You know, can Oregon really close the gap there? And then, uh, you know, cause you figure, you look at Georgia, you look at LSU, um, you know, and, and a team, if those two teams both win out, you're still going to end up with a two loss team there in the SEC. So I think really you're looking at Oregon, you're looking at Alabama, uh, as the the teams that'll be battling it out there for the the fourth spot in the college football playoff, barring something crazy at the top, but you know I just don't see that happening. Let's see, um, Tennessee really playing good football down the stretch. Missouri not so much. They're playing in Columbia, 
Uh, that'll be an interesting game just to kind of keep an eye on. OU, a late game against TCU, number nine. Sooners coming off of that big win, that emotional high. Are they going to be flat at home, or are they really going to take it to the the, the Horned Frogs? Garrett Wallow playing there uh, at linebacker. Jeff Gladney. Is Gladney going to be covering C.D. Lamb? That's going to be a question. Um, Jalen Hurts. I, I, I see OU. Um, by a by a large margin in that game. Um, Washington State taking on Oregon State. Look, Oregon State has a chance to make a bowl game this year. I think Jonathan Smith has done a, a really good job, uh, something that people haven't really been talking about so much. Jake Luton at, at the quarterback position. Um, man, if this guy could, could have stayed healthy his entire career, he'd be a guy that we'd really be talking about in this, dra- this year's draft class. That being said, I think he's really emerged as a, a top 10 quarterback for this year's draft. Isaiah Hodgins is wide out, a big tall receiver, uh, plays with some physicality as well. He's a down downfield threat, has a chance to be a day two guy, probably going to fall to day three, fourth, fifth round, uh, just because of the depth of the wide receiver class. We, we've already mentioned uh, Hamilcar Rashad. You know, tune in to watch that game. If nothing else, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to get after Anthony Gordon there for Washington State. Um, and then uh, a left tackle, a guy who I think is going to get drafted. His name is Blake Brendel. I'm sorry, Blake Brandle, uh, 6'7", 305, uh, I believe. I'm kind of going off the top of my head there. But a guy who moves pretty well for his size. I think he'll be a developmental prospect there, uh, be a day three pick. Uh, number seven, Utah Utes. Got to keep an eye on them, see what happens um, the remainder of the season. Can they win out uh, taking on Arizona uh, in Tucson? Washington, the Huskies, you're going to see Jacob Eason going against Steven Montez in Colorado in uh, in Boulder at Folsom Field, and then Boise Stadium. We've mentioned uh, and talked about Curtis Weaver. He'll get to go up against Jordan Love there at Utah State. Utah State also has inside linebacker David Woodward. Um, is he going to come out and end of the draft? I, I don't know that he will, but he's a, a production machine, volume tackler, but he's not just that. He can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He can blitz the quarterback. He can drop into coverage. Um, you know, does a good job reading the quarterback. Uh, he's somebody who I think is, is really underrated, flying under radars. If he enters the draft, you're going to see people, a lot of people start talking about him. And then they also have Tipa Naliai, a guy who we're going to talk about next week uh, as an edge rusher that I really see as, as a um, – as a 34 outside linebacker, um, you know, I, I think of a, a guy like Malik uh, Malik Reed. You know, that was someone who was very productive in, in college. A guy who ultimately uh, didn't get drafted, He's an undrafted free agent, and ends up going to Denver and is getting some playing time. He's 6'1", 251 pounds, had uh, 38 tackles for loss, 22 sacks in his career. Right, and and so. He, he ends up not getting drafted, and ultimately Denver picks him up. And uh, if you bear with me here, just one moment. I'm going to go ahead and pull up what Malik Reed has been able to do. I, I remember I tuned in, got to watch him play. I saw him get a, a hand on the football. But he's played in 10 games, started six games. And um, you know, when we look at it, Let's see. Only one sack to his credit so far, but he's had, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games, you know, with uh, double-digit solo tackles. Um, have forced uh, four tackles against Kansas uh, Kansas City. Um, let's see, a total of three tackles for loss. And, 
fumble recovery against Indianapolis. So he's one of those guys who's really starting to make a name for himself there for uh, for Denver, especially now that Bradley Chubb is out for the year. But it's one of those guys who's taking advantage of um, – of some of the the opportunities really taking advantage of that and some of the guys that we're going to talk about throughout this whole draft process whether it's you know at outside linebacker defensive end guys that can get after the quarterback when you're productive and you look at this in his last two seasons with the Nevada Wolfpack Malik Reed uh, 25 and a half tackles for loss 16 sacks you know, he was undersized, you know, 11 forced fumbles. That's the other thing. He knew what to do, knew where the football was, knew what to do when he arrived, knew how to generate and, and uh, a play on the football. He was playing defensive end, stand-up rush, edge rusher as well for the Wolfpack, 6'1", 251, um, undersized guy. But look, he was making plays. And I think that's one of the things when we look at a lot of these guys, you know, were, you know, were they productive? Were they able to get after the quarterback? Were they able to make plays behind the line of scrimmage? That's really what you ultimately want to see. And so that's what I'm looking forward to when we go through the rest of this draft process, especially when we talk about our outside linebackers next week. So we're going to go ahead and, and call that a podcast. I think we'll go ahead and, uh, Get ready for the weekend, week 13 of the college football season. I can't believe it's almost over, which then means we're going to be talking about bowl season right around the corner. We'll get into the the bowl prep. We'll talk about the first uh, first couple of weeks of, of bowl matchups, and then we'll we'll have another podcast. We'll talk about the last couple of weeks of, uh, of, of the bowl matchups as well. We'll divide it into two podcasts and... Uh, then we'll start getting into the, the pre-draft process after that. So really looking forward to uh, the remainder of the season and obviously when we get into uh, bowl season and uh, then the the, the, um, the all-star games and then get into all of the pre-draft, in, including the combine. So uh, that's kind of what to expect. And uh, after the pre-draft process, we'll also be doing some mock drafts. We'll kind of throw some of that in there and really see, take a look at some of the team's um, some of their draft needs and we'll really kind of start exploring that who are going to be some of the best fits there for some of the different programs. So with that said, we'll go ahead, like I said, call it a podcast. Hope everyone enjoys uh, this weekend's college football matchups. I think we've got some really exciting matchups there and uh, we'll do this all again next week. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the ready for the draft podcast. I am your host, Greg shoots. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, and I am out of here.